You're listening to Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. Our aim, as always, is to help the people of God understand, love, and enjoy the Word of God. For more information, visit us at theologyuntucked.com. Welcome to another episode of Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. In tonight's episode, we continue our Bible series on literary genres. Tonight's title, The Gospels. And now, here are your hosts and theologians, cum bonum nuntium, Tim and Caleb. Hey Tim, you have any nuntia bonae for us this evening? I... I, I'm gonna say no, uh, and hope that that's a oh, good answer. Oh, come on! You gotta have some nuntia, nuntia bonne today. Man, I have no idea. I just got out of teaching a two-hour-long class, so my brain's pretty fried tonight. Uh, what is that? Not that good, if it wasn't fried, I would know. Good news. Oh, yeah, sure. I got that. You got okay. You change. Okay, I th- I figured you'd change. Well, there's some aspects to some of these words that you know one never knows. It kind of depends on the day. But yes, good news, good stuff. Well, How how's the uh, how's the weather in in New York? You got any good news with that? Because we were on spring break, had tried to have vacation, and it rained the whole stinking time. Yeah, no, we um, yeah, March is usually actually our snowiest month of the year. And uh, but we've ended up with basically no snow. Um, Binghamton, where I live, actually won what's called the Golden Snowball Award up here. All the uh, upstate uh, cities in New York all have uh, every year they have this kind of trophy thing that goes around for the one who had the most snow. And so we actually won that this year. Um, we we busted through our annual record uh, or winter's record of a hundred inches this year. So the golden snowball, that yeah. just kind of brings a different picture for me in mind when I think about golden snow. Yeah. <laughs> Here, it's just more trying to get a get a, a happy grip on what has been a very, very snowy winter. Back in December, we had a single snowstorm that dropped 41 inches on us um, in a single day. It was nuts. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. Glad I wasn't there. That was actually that that beat the record for the snowiest December just that day. Wow! Yeah, just so pretty crazy. The records continue into twenty twenty one. So, but the weather now it's been uh, it was actually raining all day today, but for the first time since I don't even know last spring sometime I guess it doesn't rain here that much like that. Uh, but it rained all all day long. I kind of miss those rainstorms down in Mississippi this time of year. You know. Uh, yeah. just the just the constant rain in the afternoon i loved that yeah if you're wanting to kind of sit inside and be a little lazy i guess it's good uh the tornadoes are not fun no the tornadoes aren't so much fun the, the sitting there during <laughs> the uh the rain while it's uh you know while it's raining outside and just reading a book is great though i kind of miss that yeah yeah i hear you well so we had a good vacation we just laid around like garfield the cat and ate and put on about 20 lb but that's all right. I'll lose 20 it. pounds of lasagna in a week. Can't bad. Yeah. <laughs> so tonight we're talking about the Gospels. You know, before we kind of had mentioned how how the Gospels are, are, Gospels are really kind of a, a genre that's mm-hmm. all on their own. Um, and, and, and I would partially agree with that. Yes and no. Um, 
but yes, they're definitely unique. Um, Quite. But they have a lot of the same elements that, you know, all of your typical genres. And that's the reason why I kind of bring this up is because, you know, understanding understanding genre is going to, you know, let us know as a reader, you know, what, what we're supposed to expect from that type of information. You, I guess right. you agree with that. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, while they are unique, they certainly take elements of other genres and kind of slap them all together and right. do something quite new uh, with with whatever resulted from it that we have now dubbed the the gospel genre. Um, which and you is, would say new and re within respect. Well, I guess really within respect to all literature, but in, within yeah. respect to the Bible too. It, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, nothing um, in the scriptures had been gospel genre before, um, yeah. uh, and you know, depending on how you know, nobody knows uh, which gospel is written first. No matter how many theories people put out there, um, it's pretty pretty clear that John was last. But which of what was first between Matthew, Mark, or Luke? Um, it's uh, it does seem that Luke puts himself at the end of yeah. a line. Um, at least in his intro, but between Matthew and Mark, it's not as clear as some people have made it out to be. Well, what um, about QAnon? What part did he write? Q or is that a different Q? That's a different Q. That's a, uh, that's a different Q, right? Yeah, there was we'll all talk these, about that later. There was all these theories that float around that there was like proto-gospels and uh, the sayings of Jesus and all this kind of stuff that floats around. Again, theories. Um, yeah. There are no records of this. There's theories, and Man, I tell you, if I ever, if I ever get paid a couple bucks per theory with regards to how the scriptures were either put together or whatnot, oh my goodness! Well, so, I got a theory that this is going to be an awesome episode. I was really yeah. looking forward to it. Um, and by the way, I think Mark was written first, but you know, I've got some really good, smart, scholarly friends that would say Matthew. Um, yeah, give it but, fifty years, they'll probably start saying John. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know they're they're kind of one of those debates that I guess nerdy nerdy Bible people like us like to have. Um, right. Not necessarily as important uh, as it is as they're all for reliable. Yep. And and what what's really really unique about the Gospels is their order in the canon. Yes. Okay, so like you know, if if you're not familiar, uh, the um, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking you know, uh, someone who doesn't spend their time in all of this. The the Old Testament, as we have it in, in any given Protestant uh, Bible, is is laid out completely different um, mm -hmm. than than the Hebrew Scriptures would have been, um, and it has a lot more to do um, with. Uh, with later revisions and orderings and things like this, rather than the Hebrew scriptures, um, you know, so that's why you end up with weird things like Ezra and Nehemiah, who are some of the latest figures in the Bible, come right before Job, who's one of the earliest. Um, and it, you know, it's it's just kind of this bizarre thing where we kind of jam genres together and then kind of you know rearrange things all around. In the New Testament, uh, the even the letters in different orders, uh, in That's different correct. places. You know, we we separate it out by first author, um, after after the Gospels and Acts. By the way, we separate it by author and then by length, longest to shortest. That's just how they always are. 
So like Romans is the longest that Paul wrote, and then Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you know, all the way down the way. And then it kind of tries to start over at Hebrews and goes, you know, I don't really know who that is. So then uh, James, and then First and Second Peter, and then First, Second, Third John, Jude, Revelation. You know, and just kind of goes shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter for the generals, uh, and then to the Revelation. But um, the weird thing is, while we've had a lot of lists about these, they're they're usually in all sorts of different orders and stuff like that. Um, you know, that, that order that we have now kind of solidifies later on, but in some of them you have Hebrews back with, with Paul's writings. Um, and then, um, you have some of these things a little more out of order, but the gospels are always Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, every single list from the earliest list on even lists as early as about a hundred AD, which is kind of insane that we have lists that are that old. I mean, the Muratorian fragment even mentions this, that this is, this is the way it's always been laid out. And one of the reasons why I chose Matthew for my dissertation topic, uh, it kind of sits as this bridge from Old to New Testament. And that's kind of speaks to one of its purposes. But I always find it fascinating that that order has always been, even from the very beginning. Yeah, I was actually looking looking at that today. and uh, I, I got a text here. It's uh, the biblical canon list from early Christianity, basically how the development of the of the Christian biblical canon and, and, and you're right on the gospel and it's by the you know it's going to state by the second century it's the fourfold gospel is mm-hmm. is is widely what what is accepted not not universally but that's what's widely accepted as early as the second century so well before Constantine you know if you're listening to YouTube scholars and uh, stuff like that um they, they they don't have a clue what they're talking about. Um, so yeah, while we're on the subject of a canon, just as a side effect, because I, I hear that kind of crap all the time, the, the Council on Nicaea made absolutely no uh, no decisions regarding canon whatsoever. That's that, right. That is a that is a myth, and that it it's a myth that needs to die. I'm kind of tired of hearing it. Yeah, well, and that's kind of why we wanted to bring it up uh, because right. another another one of the things that. Um, you'll hear YouTube scholars and stuff like that is, you know, we've, we do have that there's some 34 different gospels that were written. And so Tim, let's talk about, first of all, kind of what was this litmus test um, for why these four versus the other four, because very much so I think genre and understanding genre plays a a huge role into that. Um, Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about the lit- litmus test of, of why these four and why not these other 30. So, I mean, the litmus test for anything like this, I mean, they're not going through this scientifically. That's kind of a, a kind of a misnomer of how we talk about it, but, yeah. um, there is recognition and, but most importantly, kind of common sense. Type there, there, stuff. Yeah. There's an antiquity uh, element to it and, mm-hmm. and an apostolic element to it, to it. Right. So, uh, the gospel genre is unique in the fact that it is not born primarily out of writing, but out of proclamation. Um, most most biographies are not built out of proclamation first. They're built simply to recount the lives of, of a great person uh, that would be of interest to the readers. And so it would never have something like a call to action or, uh, you know, a desire to affect the person so much. It was, there were embellishments. There was all sorts of things in biographies. Um, 
But one of the things that's so unique about the gospel genre is it didn't start off as writing. It started off as proclamation. Mm-hmm. The, the, the preaching of and the giving witness to by the apostles of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, which is why all four gospels have that, um, is what this genre was born out of. So it will pull in elements of biography and of history, uh, at least as ancient history goes, um, and it'll it'll infuse these with the actual gospel that saves the person reading, and so it actually works this kind of this this effect into the reader. It's meant to do that. Um, so you'll get, for instance, Mark. The primary theory about Mark is that it is born out of Peter's sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, sermons, if you will. So it's kind of yeah. like a distillation of what he preaches. And Mark is a student of Peter's. And so we're talking about something for a litmus test that has antiquity to it, a connection to the people that were there. You know, th- Matthew was one of the 12 disciples. Peter, through Mark, one of the 12 disciples. Luke, a researcher, perhaps one of the most unique of the writers, was not an eyewitness account, but went and interviewed many, many people uh, and then sought to lay that all down. He was actually a traveler with the apostle who only saw Christ once, Paul. Um, So he was not an eyewitness to it, but as he spells out at the beginning, I went and interviewed everybody, and that's a remarkable thing, helpful to scholastics, you know? And then John is the Apostle John, and that that that, that kind of comes down too. But he doesn't. It seems that he doesn't write this until much later in his life, um, yeah. and and his takes on a completely different flavor. Uh, I think for that exact reason. Um, yeah. And there's there's so much unique to the person of John in there, uh, and the orderliness of that. It's just really quite awesome. But so the litmus test a lot will have to do with these are connected directly to apostolic proclamations. Yeah. So when, when we talk about what would be the synoptics, that's going to be your Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, one of the, one of the things that, that we did, um, obviously early on in, in our masters that I just thoroughly enjoyed and still do it today is, you know, these side by side comparisons because, because what we have within within these four gospels is we also have four unique perspectives. Um, and so when, you know, people that are, that are, I guess, have an agenda, you know, they're, they're going to bring up these things about contradictions and, and things like that. And, and it's like, no, that that's not what's happening at all. That the stories are not going to match up verbatim and, and any investigator is going to, get people and split them apart and hear their story and if they if they exactly match up there's some collusion there so they're not going to exactly match up um they also each have their own um intent as to what they're wanting to to communicate whether that be um theologically um speaking um you know you can you can see all of these things that's why i love that's why I love studying the gospel so much because you just see the personality of first of all the, the author to empathize with the author. And it's like, like with Mark and and while we do know that it, that he was closely related with Peter's first of all how he deals with Peter in the text as mm-hmm. compared to the other ones. Right. Um. There's this. 
um, admiration and respect for them. Um, and, and Luke's telling is just very detailed. Um, and, and with all of them, the, the chronological sequence, but then also the geographic um, telling, the, the chronological and geographical telling. And so, you know, part of my dissertation work is on kind of this Old Testament theological idea um, of, of what's called, uh, Walton's going to call cosmic geography. And, and that's still very much in play. Cosmic geography, we all kind of have this. It's kind of like the Tropic of Cancer is a cosmic geography. Uh, obviously, theirs was different than ours. Um, and, and theologically speaking, you, you can kind of see, especially in, I, I especially see this in Luke with what he's doing with, with specifically these geographic place names. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes the geographic place names too, also in, in, in Paul, um, they'll be, they'll be assigned to a, a person with the geography and then it'll list out all, all the other names and, and there's nothing there. And so all of these little bitty nuanced things that we see that's different out of, mm-hmm. out of each telling of these gospels are what I really, really enjoy about digging in the word of God here. Uh, yeah. What's your favorite thing about uh, your study of the gospels? I mean, there's so many things to, I I actually love running into the use of the Old Testament in the Gospels. Yeah. It's, it's actually why I'm doing my dissertation on that exact topic. I originally wanted to do it on all four Gospels, and then I realized I could never digest that, and so I, I've limited myself to the Gospel of Matthew. It had to be four different dissertations. Oh, I mean, it, yeah, it should be. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah so I, I've limited myself only to Jesus' use of the Old Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. So um, that's that's going to be and is a lot of fun. And so I, but I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of my favorite things because I, I find it just fascinating how Christians dealt with the transition time in a single generation. I mean, you think about it, these Gospels were written, uh, with the possible exception of John, um, while the temple was still standing, right? Yeah, pre-70. You know, so, I mean, they're having to interact with the theology of this idea that that man that we were walking around with was the temple of God. You know, and and wrestling with this, and then wrestling in in the digestion of the fact that these things were written after, for instance, the events of Acts chapter two, and so the coming of the Spirit has happened, um, and and we're we're well into the apostolic age, and then these gospels are written, reflecting back on this time. I think as a kid, I I was kind of looking at the gospels as going like you know. They're recording it while Jesus was walking around. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, you just kind of think about it that way, kind of like with Genesis. Like this guy or something. walking around with the book, right? You know, you kind of, so, but you never really give much thought to what was the context and who were the people that these gospels were written for. Um, you know, because you kind of just stick yourself back into that time frame. It's kind of like with Genesis, right? You know, how many people actually think about the fact that that was written by Moses while they were wandering in the desert? After the you know after the events of the first half of the book of Exodus, that yeah that, a lot of time of human history right has that transpired. that changes your perspective of why that the book of Genesis you know spends like three quarters of it talking about Abraham and his family 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I, that's why Duh. it's there. You know, this is the God who not only is the God of Abraham, but also the one who made the world. So it, it's it's a it's a fantastic way to think about the fact that these are this is what the apostles were preaching. They would go out and they would give the people the message that Jesus sent them with. And so they would record his parables. They would, they would retell those parables in their sermons and, and it would confuse and astound people in the same way as it did during Jesus's ministry. And so that this becomes written record is really quite fantastic. And it becomes authoritative almost immediately. And that's kind of one of these other litmus tests too, is broad acceptance Mm-hmm. Um, and, and without any holdback whatsoever, the gospels are the most broadly agreed upon part of the new Testament canon as the church is coming together. Um, the, the gospels are as clear as a bell with which ones are authoritative and which ones are, well, um, not connected to Jesus in any way. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And, and so it's not that all, all 30, uh, well, I, I would say that all of these, all of these other gospels, first of all, have some value historically uh, with with dating and a lot of that. But, you know, so mm-hmm. first of all, fourfold gospels wild, widely accepted by 180. Well, a lot of these gospels are written written after this time. First of all, um, and it, 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 it's. It just kind of makes sense as to as to why these four. If you've ever looked in and, and read any any of these other thirty, yeah, um, it's not it's not crazy. that they're just wild t- telling stories that are, that are wildly different. the 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 genre is different. the the uh, their the place that they were written and the place that they originated from are are not from Jerusalem. It, you know, so there's right. There's just there's a lot of stuff that that comes into play that are that are just really that's really just kind of obvious if, if you do a, a, a little bit of research on that uh, and just don't listen to YouTube scholars or, or um, the History Channel or any of this stuff because a lot of that will kind of come down and I'm sure some of our audience have heard things like oh these are the lost gospels or something they're not lost we never lost them we knew what they were the church nah, we fathers knew what they were then the church fathers wrote about them. Then, or yeah. it's like you know, this one's garbage because we know that dude. He lives over here, and he lives in our day, and he doesn't know anything about this. And so, I mean, that kind of stuff happens in the early church, and um, and there's there's other syncretic um, risings of of beliefs that try to you know bring together greek philosophy and christian theology and create new religions and out of this well we need a we need a jesus that that matches that people still doing this today honestly and so that that doesn't that doesn't yeah uh, so when we talk about gnosticism that's kind of that's the thing that tim's talking about there right is that this whole uh so i mean it's it's been a problem since early on and it's coming back with great fervor these days um yeah that's definitely a topic for so so is a gospel is a gospel just a biography no no it's not no um i mean 
you know it's it's got the same features of what what ancient biography would be say from secular writings you know it's got got those same types of elements um meaning in, in the way that they're intending to communicate much different than what we would figure in 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 biography from from a modern perspective yep. um you know their their intent to communicate um you know jesus is the main character um they're the the character and purpose of 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 jesus and the way they're depicting rather than doing kind of a general description of him it's his teachings and sayings and and the recording of that activity that shape um jesus's identity uh, of who he is Mm -hmm. um and all four of these elements uh all, all four of these gospels have those same elements um and as you said too they they all they all have the same element of the chronological descending the geography and then also they all end with jesus's death and by crucifixion and and resurrection um and those were also very theologically significant um to the people that they were communicating to because you you know you did have different um sects uh like the sadducees you know that didn't believe uh in a resurrection Mm -hmm. um and and so there was there was theological purpose and intent with what they're trying to communicate and 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 of course it's all about tying in that jesus is the fulfillment of the hebrew bible of the old testament Um, right i and i think the the intent is probably the most important aspect of this because uh, because we have two of them that clearly express their intent uh and so like matthew and mark do not just sit down and go you know you know, boom this is why i'm writing this book right um you know mark definitely does not do that matthew matthew it's inferred throughout i mean it it's it is clear by what he's saying and how he's doing it he is showing jesus is the messiah and he is god and he is jewish and he is king and you know he just he keeps hitting at these things over and over and over again and and the very central uh, point the very center point of all of Matthew kind of points at this thing of who is my true family, and uh, and that occurs in in Matthew chapter twelve, and it's like this whole structure pointed all the way down to this, and it's just such a remarkable thing. But intent has a lot to do with with the with the genre of the gospel, um, and so when it comes to when it comes to why these things were written. So let's take Luke, for example, right? He discusses this at the very opening, uh, and it's written as a letter, which is really interesting because it seems to be written to a single individual, mm-hmm. um, and it matches the way that Luke does stuff. He writes this way. Actually, the book of Acts, one could argue, is connected to gospel narrative, gospel genre as well, but only yeah, by extension. Yeah, the way we view yeah, by, right. because of the way we view Luke Acts as being, you know, they're kind of bookends. So it's right. You know, it's not part gospel, one, part two. But there and again, it's it's it, the gospel interweaved in there so close. It's the gospel moving into the world, right? And yeah. so it's you know they both have you know, obviously and obviously the Book of Acts is much more a history than um, you know a more of a historical narrative than than is the Book of Luke. But Luke really. 
intends to make more of a historical narrative out of this. And so he actually says this in, in chapter one, verses one through four. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Now here's, I mean, all this language of accomplishing things and everything, right? It's in our midst. We've done this. We've seen it. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. And there he separates himself out from that. I'm not that. Um, uh, let's see. Ministers of the word have delivered them to us. There's gospels having been written. This is why we seem to imagine he's not the first. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. And so an orderly account is probably the best description of Luke's thing. Um, and most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And there we have the connection to the fact that the gospel writings come after the oral proclamation, which is the natural way of all things. Um, mm -hmm. But that this was originally proclaimed and now I want you to be certain of these things. Now, what that's pretty interesting because actually John, when he is writing, uh, some couple of decades later, it seems, uh, says very similar to the same thing, that they want something for their readers. They want a level of surety. And so John ties this in with the purpose of his gospel in uh, John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, where he says... Uh, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, that never happens in a straight biography, ancient or otherwise. The, I right. the idea that this, that in reading this, you're not just learning about a human that, that existed in history. You are learning realities about the signs of Jesus of Nazareth that actually through believing on him give you life and that this gospel presentation, this book is going to be the conduit of that. That's, that is nothing that a regular biography could ever claim. And that, that's kind of one of these uh, unique aspects of the gospels. Yeah. And John's, definitely unique from the synoptics and, and you and you see a lot of what he's intending to communicate right there in verse one um because in the beginning was the word yeah the word was with god and the word was god so he's he's bringing it back all the way to genesis one right the same type of language that that there, there's no doubt where john stands um you don't have to get a couple of chapters in to understand what his what his intent is to communicate at least at least a big a, a big part of his intent to communicate and also too it makes sense that john's perspective is gonna be uniquely different than the other three but because he was very very close with jesus he, you know he's he's one of the three that had a much more personal intimate relation relationship than than the other um 12 and I say twelve, the other eleven, and then you know Judas was was replaced. But but John was there to see things that the others weren't. John, Peter, and James. And James, you know, was the first apostle that's martyred. Stephen was the first um, first Christian martyred. But but James is the first apostle uh, martyred. And and so John has a unique perspective, and that 
that's also why I love John so much. Hmm. Um, another interesting thing, and I, I know that we brief, briefly maybe mentioned this on some earlier podcasts, um, I've got, I guess, some theories and ideas, and it's John's, John's um, gospel's the only one that doesn't name the Sadducees by name, hmm. um, which, you know, there's, there's a lot of different, I, I guess, things that, that that makes me think about. Uh, part of it maybe even being that he doesn't, you know, if, if you're not wanting to draw attention to somebody, you just don't even bring it up. And that, that could very just quite simply be one of them. Um, but it but it is interesting to me. But there again, could I, be I bring that up. after 70. He's at maybe writing after 70 too. Right. Um, and, and pretty much the... After that point, the, the Sadducees and that sect and their, I guess, theological perspective was pretty much, I would say, dead by this time. Injured um, severely, yes. It definitely injured injured severely. And they, they're what made up the majority of the Sanhedrin. Uh, you know, the chief priests, you know, we believe they're, they're probably, they're, they're Sadducees. Um, and so it's just interesting. So when John's referencing them, you know, he, he addresses, he'll address and bring up the idea of the Pharisees. But then when it's talking about them as a group, he, you know, it's the Jewish authorities or, or the Jews, uh, you know, the, the NET translates that Jewish authorities. And I think that that's probably more, mm-hmm. more appropriate given the context of what John's saying, because he is addressing the, the authorities and not just, you know, just, Jews in general. He, he's addressing the authorities. The reason I bring it up is it's just all of these small little things, if you spend time um, comparing and reading all your Gospels, you, you learn so much, but you just you just see all of these different nuances that stick out. Um, and of course, I, you know, I guess that's why we're into Bible scholarship, because we like these types of things yeah i I find us ask questions you know we're not the first ones either you know throughout history um in church history christian artists have have never drawn other books of the bible and and drawn parallels to things like angelic beings and in church history a lot of art put together the concept of the cherubim with the or the four living creatures in ezekiel's vision with the four mm-hmm. gospels and and mm. and and actually made them to actually stand for each other like the uh the man the ox the lion and the eagle um yeah you know they do that matthew the man mark was always the lion luke is the ox john is the eagle uh you'll see this in some older bibles and some modern bibles are doing it now too where they'll actually have that little symbol um if you have like a study bible or something like that i know the esv study bible does this um, you'll actually have a little emblem of a man above the Gospel of Matthew, and then you'll have a little emblem of the lion above the Gospel of Mark, and an ox above Luke, and an eagle above John. That that is that's a tradition that's gone back quite a long while because the it, they just couldn't get around the fact that these these four are so intertwined with one another and yet separate from one another, and all pointing to the one that they're all surrounding. You know the very thing and that all the four equally important, right? And all equally important. Um, I, I find it fascinating that when people talk about um, you know these gospels, they almost you know you touched on this earlier that they like expect them to be the same. If they're the same, they're unnecessary. 
They, they, the whole <laughs> point, point, the whole point was to be distinct from one another, to to express another aspect of who this Christ was. If we just had one gospel, that's a really, really bad thing. It yeah. really is a singular, and this is not, this is not how God ever did anything with this stuff. Even when it comes to preserving the texts of these things, it was never through one transmission line because otherwise somebody can screw up the message. It was through several, and that was kind of the whole point, that you do not get a singular perspective just on one thing. If anyone's ever curious about looking it up, I think it was called the the uh, tetramorph. Um, uh, was the were, were were these descriptions of the gospels drawn as a four-headed or four-figured surrounded in wings and eyes all around and stuff it's a really fantastic um picture and something that uh, something i definitely encourage people to look into the history of because it's fascinating you know the, how the gospels work and nothing really inspires art so much as them uh in the past you know the way that the way that people have uh, depicted the the parables of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, almost all Christian art comes out of these four books out of sixty six. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah, and we also know that the early church, um, you know, as 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 there's all of these different letters written, and kind of they all have their own traditions. There, there, you, there's also the desire of these other other churches to get to get these other epistles and other gospels to to read them to to hear that perspective to get that fuller view right um so i i think that that's really neat and then also too what's really neat is is the early church what the the who we call the early church fathers is what they have to say about them mm-hmm. um which it just it lends more credence to their um long-standing tradition and um and reliability as well it's Um, it's a lot less difficult for them to accept these as authentic because they're literally living during the age of disproof uh and there's so much testimony about these things these things are written and, and i think that's lost on a lot of people matthew mark and luke at least are written during the time where the people it talks about, a lot of them are still alive, right? I mean, this th- that's called the age of disproof, you know? So you get, for instance, just shows up when, even later when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, saying, you know, of those who saw Jesus alive, you know, there was these, the 12, the this, the that, and then at one point, 500 people, and he's like, yeah, most of them are still alive, go check. You know, go talk to them. They, they saw him with their own two eyes. During the age of disproof, all of this stuff's going on. So are the gospel narratives, and you have this collegiate, uh, collegiate memory uh, across the board of who Christ is, what he came to do, and and when you actually plot this out, there's no development. This was a, this was an old theory in the 1800s. There was no development of the gospel theology throughout the first century. They knew yeah, like it. They have the an agenda to edit it and all that. Right, stuff. No, right. Yeah. But you you get advanced gospel stuff in the first books written. Things like First Thessalonians, uh, and and the Book of Galatians. I mean, they, when I say advanced, I don't mean like you know, oh, they they fixed everything before they got. No, 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 no. This stuff was the way of it. 
all the way through. And all of these people are still alive that were alive during the time that Jesus was still walking the earth. Right? It's why when they come to the book of Acts, they're able to look at this and do this and do that. They're looking at these epistles. They're, they're able to interact with these things. Well, I mean, the Council of Jerusalem is headed up by James, for crying out loud. And you know James, I think he knew Jesus a little bit. A little bit. He grew up with him. Yeah, I, I mean, brother. So why can't you be? Why can't you be more like your brother no. Jesus? It's tough being James. Can you imagine? Ah. So, they, oh, I lost my lost my train of thought. Um, I had a good one too. It's so good it left me. Oh man. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to genres like this, um, how does that affect our interpretation of it, right? So uh, if we're reading it as just straight biography, first of all, then we'll get no reaction out of it, which kind of betrays the whole point of the gospel genre. So there there is there is an aspect of uh, of approach to these, and this is going to actually be an entire chapter in my dissertation um, on how is it that we approach the text. Um, and and the way in which we approach it, for instance, both of us are doing our, our Doctor of Theology in Biblical Theology. The way that we approach the text in Biblical Theology is not from a stance of disbelief, nor mm -hmm. is it from a stance of trying to disprove it or trying to prove it. It, it presupposes the, the uh, clarity stands on its own merit. that it stands on its own. Correct. I don't have to, I don't have to write a chapter on trying to defend that. <laughs> right. And so sometimes it's helpful to do that and whatnot. But in biblical theology, this is one of the things that we just simply have to talk about the scriptures inside their own consistent world. Not because they're inconsistent with the world outside of it, but because the people that are in the world outside of it are inconsistent. And it makes life very difficult to try to talk about things. L let's put it this way. If you're going to come with a desire to not believe the Gospels and you're going to read them, you might be challenged, but you probably will come out of them not believing them. Yeah, because um, you've already got a you've got an agenda, uh, right? Yeah, you 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 have an agenda. And in fact, Jesus uh, talked about this inside the Gospels specifically why he's using parables so that those who don't have ears to hear won't hear. That's yeah, that's hard stuff. It, the the parables are are also really unique. Um, how Jesus uses them. Um, and, and so you talk about the Old Testament text. You, you can see when he'll when he'll use the parables too. He won't be necessarily referencing in something from the Old Testament explicitly, but mm -hmm. but you'll see it in there. Um, and the and there's something that's mysterious about the parable and the idea of narrative and secular mm -hmm. science will, um, even kind of tell you this about the way that we learn things, the way the human brain was created of, of how we learn and remember things is, is through this idea, idea of narrative. So the parable has this narrative part to it to where when this person, Jesus, says this interesting, weird story to you, it's something that, something that sits with you. It's mm -hmm. something that you are going to remember it's something that you're going to be able to write about later uh, because it wasn't just these four that heard them um and and you know maybe that's what you know the kind of the theory and the idea of, of q kind of 
kind of comes in, which I don't necessarily have a problem with that. That I mean, you know, I, it makes sense maybe that people just kind of understood and, and tried to remember these sayings that Jesus said because he seems to have communicated this way sure. quite a bit everywhere he went. And he had intent and purpose with based upon who his audience was. The only issue um, I whenever I have with something like that is if you're trying to use it as a way to explain how these are not inspired, then I have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I I, I don't I don't even I don't even know how to <laughs> how people argue for that. Um that the more that you spend in it, um you know th- there's there's faith, but it's not a blind faith and and, and when you come to this with your faith and you read the Gospels especially, there is no doubt that you just, inspiration flies off of it. Um, I, yeah. I also think that, that it's interesting too when, when, we, when we talk about the first century and, and what's going on in, the, um, in this climate of the first century, you know, that their eyes are on finding this messiah um and there's there's many different um messiah type figures that that come up and 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 what happens to these messiah figures that that gain a following well i mean the sanhedrin get together and they kill them just kind of like the way that they did with jesus and Mm -hmm. and of course what happens is when they kill them you know their their following dies yep well that that doesn't happen here um, they keep talking about it, keep talking about it, and then they start writing about it and, it, and it, and it keeps going on to where, you know, half of the Roman Empire is, is in, within 150 plus years is, is converted to Christianity. Um, not by way of violence, the way Muhammad did it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, so it's it's something that's very unique within the confines of human history. Nothing's ever happened like this with any movement. Um, there, there's some similarities maybe with some other religions and movements, but but nothing like this. Um, it it can only be divinely inspired if you just look at it from a historical perspective. As be, it, it's it's uniquely different than than any other point in human history and and here when we have the gospels we get to sit at the feet of these men Mm -hmm. who experienced the face of of jesus and and or the apostles that knew jesus and and spent so much time with him Mm. um i i just I, i i can spend i can spend forever in the gospels do you have a favorite gospel over any of the other ones because that's really hard you do yeah matthew and uh you know i mean for a long while it was mark because i felt like everyone just overlooked him um but in the past two years since i've been focusing in on matthew i've honestly it's just from exposure i i have i have learned to appreciate what in the world he is doing and it's just fantastic uh and and watching his intentionality um his his uh his it, it's it's like this laser like concern that people understand how important it is to be a part of the family of god who are jesus's true mothers and brothers right 
and those who do the will of my father right and and this you see you see matthew's humility as an author in it too that's interesting yeah yeah you definitely do yeah i it's it's such a it's such an interesting aspect to it because i mean i love the way that he connects jewish readers to their messiah and he's mm-hmm. just he's just showing them look this is very different than any of us anticipated. It's so much better. Yeah. And and it's I, it's you can just you can almost just hear him being mesmerized by it and showing them this. I re- I really like Mark. Um and I, I would say at one time Mark was was probably my my most favorite. Um I mean you just see this idea in Mark like he's wanting to get to the cross really quick. Yeah. Um, and you see that theme play out. Um, you know, it's, it's the shortest, um, you know, the Greek isn't as an, isn't as advanced as say like someone like Luke. Um, but, but the stories that he tells, um, that, you know, there's obviously a lot of, um, a lot of stuff with demons and stuff. So I like all of that. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's the geography, but, but also too, I have it, that it's, it's so hard for me because I, I really like the theology of John yeah. and, but then that leads me into why I concentrate so much on Luke who is close to Paul and you see, you see Paul's, Paul's theology oh, yeah. is, is so close to John and, right. and. And so when you spend a lot of time reading John and then you're reading Paul, like it, like there is, there's no, con- I mean, it, it's just very sound. And, and so Luke's, um, a close companion of Paul and he's not writing like he's writing differently. He's writing from a, from a different, not just perspective, but with a different intent. And it, I, I don't like when people say that, like, you know, Luke's just history, because it, it is definitely a, a historical telling, but there is a lot of deep theology within Luke that's interweaved, but it's very implicit. And then, so that's kind of that idea of cosmic geography that definitely is going to play itself out when by the time you get to Acts from, from, from the way that Luke does his narrative and, and his gospel account and then when you get to acts that this idea of of cosmic reconciliation mm-hmm. you know that that happens at um at pentecost i mean there's a reason why he's puts these specific place names and and even specifically the the journey that paul's goes on getting back and now i know mm-hmm. we're moving away from from the Gospels and talking about Acts, but now, no, if you're talking about Luke, again, you got to talk about Acts. Yeah. But you got to talk about Acts, right. and that's why we say it's so closely um, yeah. is interwoven into these four. It's just really, really hard. And I, I like Matthew too. Um, I thought you were going to say but, you like Luke because it's the uh, it's the only one that Paul actually calls scripture. Ah, uh, when he quotes from he it, does yes, he does. He does. Ah. Yeah. Where is that at? So that- so Paul is writing uh, with regards to um, the the aspect of right elders Timothy? in First Timothy chapter 5. And uh, he quotes from, let's see, First Timothy chapter 5, 
for 17 and 18. Uh, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scriptures say, you shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. That's from that's pretty well known, Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. And the laborer deserves to be paid. Two different quotations, one Deuteronomy, the other is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 7. 10, 7. Yeah. So that the fact that Paul quotes that now here's the fun part about this. If our dating is correct, first of all, Paul died in 67. Mm-hmm. Most likely we're talking about Paul is writing this several years before that. It doesn't really seem to be towards the very end of his life. So maybe in the year 62 or so is the prevailing like 62, 63. Uh, yeah. The theory is that that the Gospel of Luke is actually written late fifties, like fifty eight, fifty nine, which means this is within four years of it being written. But it's well enough known. Now Paul was traveling with Luke. It seems at this time, at least some part of this time, so much that he's not only aware but has read the Gospel of Luke, and assumes that Timothy has a copy and has also read it. That that, is, that instantly that, that's explodes right your brain because you're just like we make all these assumptions, you know. But the labor deserves to be paid. That does not occur in the Old Testament anywhere. That is clearly and verbatim a quote from Luke chapter ten verse seven. That's craziness. So it's the only that's one. Really cool. It's the only one where the New Testament quotes another New Testament book and calls it scripture, plainly. And, I have never even heard or and and, and or read or discussed any of this so there you see audience you see like why we like the bot them the stuff like this is it's awesome because you it's awesome you, you get you get you know I, some people go oh you know peter he talks about the writings of paul is scripture right he does right well here's here's paul literally quoting a book that was written a couple of years before this and listen paul is a former pharisee he is quoting luke side by side with deuteronomy okay and calling both of them by one word scripture that's amazing you know it's just that's some that's some confidence in your really partner huh which means that luke the traveling companion of paul was writing scripture and paul was aware of it which means luke was aware of it when he was writing it and when he was researching it and paul's aware of it himself and he didn't have to wait several generations for people to figure out it was scripture they knew it the moment it was written yeah he didn't need affirmation from somebody to to tell him correct that was so which which makes everything open wide on up that's crazy because we are talking middle of the first century we're talking within 30 years of jesus dying right i mean so for anyone who's not aware in the ancient world things are assumed to move very very slow because we we look on them with derision uh the reality is the ancient world worked very efficiently with what they had yeah very much um and especially when it came to writings and especially when it came to um communications so i mean whoever theophilus was received a copy of this but darned it not only did paul but timothy both had copies of luke this early on and they were expected to be familiar with it as scripture. Before the printing press? What? Handwritten. Which is handwritten. even more incredible. 
Well, and, and it, it just shows you a, an early tradition of transmission of the text, yep. too. Um, not not somebody making stuff up later down nope. the line with an agenda. And, and plus, too, um, that does happen with, with some other things, and, and you can you can usually catch that mm-hmm. but based upon but you know you, you can you can kind of see when somebody has has an agenda or and we kind of spoken spoke about this during our um podcast on on text criticism that you know these these other types of things uh but that's why that's why the bible's honest too mm-hmm. you know we don't we don't put put these things that are in question and now we we call them out right um as as we need to it's awesome stuff. And, I mean, when, when it comes to the Gospels, obviously you started off this episode, so we'll kind of close it out the same way with, you know, well, we have theologians of good news. And, and that really is the aspect of the Gospel. It's why we call these uh, not, not the Gospel of Matthew. It's not Matthew's Gospel. It's the Gospel according to Matthew. You know, katamatheon. Uh, it is the Gospel according to Mark. It is the Gospel according to Luke. It is the Gospel according to John. That that is expressing this reality that there is one gospel now let's matthew tell us about it there is one gospel now let's hear luke talk about it there's one gospel now let's hear mark talk about it there's one gospel now let's hear john talk about it and what is this gospel and you get this picture from all four of them if you kind of even picture the four living creatures around the throne of god this is this is why the four of them were you were 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 combined together in that picture is that this these four help us to define the aspects of what god is doing in the world that there is there is life breaking into this dark world and his name is jesus and he's bringing many sons to glory and how that works out and how that pans out and what his message is and what he's here to do is so complicated and so in-depth that he cannot just come out and tell us. There's so many things happening at the cross. And people people debate over this. Well, substitutionary atonement. Of course it is. Right? Oh, victory yeah. over yeah. demons. Of course it is. Yep. Right, that too. Dying in love for his people, of course it is. That too. Suffering the wrath of his father, of course it is. Suffering at the hands of unjust men, un- unjustly for an innocent man to do so, of course it is. There's everything in here. There's so much in here, and yeah, all of these different theories that play a part. Um, right. There and again, that's why it's so unique. Uh, but because the and that's why we would say that 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 is a genre that's kind of unique in itself because you know we've spoke about genres going to tell us what we're reading how to read it what to expect um but but the other part that you just kind of really summed up there is the idea of what the gospels communicate right. implicitly about Jesus of what they require of us as a reader right what what is it that we do with it's, this? It's good news because the 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 law that has come from God is bad news for us. Yeah. Not that the law is imperfect; it's beautiful, it's perfect. But we we die through it. The law promises life, and it proves to be death to us. Paul says, "The gospel comes in and says, not do this, do this, do this, but it is finished." 
And in the work of Christ, we have something that we never could have hoped for, honestly, or asked for, or wanted. We have something that God in his grace has given that no man would have ever made up. And he gave us four witnesses to it to show us this is something so far beyond us. My pastor growing up used to say it all the time. He says, you know, for me, the final nail in the coffin of my hopelessness outside the gospel was no man would ever make this crap up. Yeah. This does not come from the mind of man. We Mm -hmm. cannot imagine that a God does this. It's, It's completely unique. There's nothing to it that is from the mind of man. Every bit of this comes from a gracious God. And it's that part of revelation that happens from the end of the Old Testament and then when what this this good news that that comes to us mm-hmm. is so much better um, it really is. than than what we could have ever than what we could have ever figured um and and that's kind of like what Jesus is 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 telling them when he comes on the scene and right thank 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 you Jesus for the good news of the gospel how about you pray that on the way out man that would be a great way to end lord we we're just we're so thankful to be able to just first of all sit in a in a country and in our homes to where we can have freedom to just talk about this and and these ideas lord we 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 take it for granted so often lord for, forgive us of that of of the gift that you've given us uh the gift that's been written down and carried on 2000 years later where, where we can sit and and laugh and chat and um and talk about the things that you did where we um we lift up uh, those listeners that are that are out there and, and what, whatever it is that they're going through, what, whatever it is that um, you had in mind for them to bring them to us, or we we just uh, we want you to know that that Tim and I are are lifting you up in prayer, and that we're that we're thankful for you as as listeners and and brothers and sisters in Christ and. Um, and for those of you who do not believe, Lord, we, we ask that you do something in them to make them believe. Uh, show them, do, do, some, do something um, within, within your gospel story in them to soften their heart, to, to bring them to you. Lord, thank you so much again for, for your word, for your love for us continuing on through the ages and and, until until you come back in your holy name we pray jesus amen thank you for listening to theology untucked join us each week as we engage in all things theological biblical and cultural these are the types of conversations we should be having in the church today and we aim to play our part Also, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you'd like us to address or a prayer request, 
please send them to us. You can reach me at Caleb at TheologyUntucked.com. Or you can reach me at Tim at TheologyUntucked.com. Do note that your prayer requests remain strictly confidential. We will not be sharing them on the show. For more information or to support the show, please visit TheologyUntucked.com. Lord's blessings to you all. Thank you.